This is an RNZ podcast. RNZ News at midday. Kia ora, good afternoon. I'm Karen McCarthy. A top police officer says an attack on a South Island school was prevented because people took their concerns to police. The New Zealand Herald and staff are reporting that a teenage student planned to carry out a violent attack at a Tasman area school, but it was uncovered before it was carried out. That was RNZ's news at midday on Saturday last weekend, and it's not often that the same startling scoop appears in rival newspapers on the same day. But that troubling case of a teenager who planned to shoot teachers and fellow high school students here in New Zealand occupied the front pages of the Weekend Herald and also the weekend editions of the Stuff papers up and down the country. And the other extraordinary thing about this story, it had taken almost two years for just some of the details of it to come to light in the news. Since October 2018, blanket suppression orders prevented all media from reporting the story of this teenager from the Tasman district and a detailed plan for attacking the teen's own school. It's the sort of thing we've seen in the news several times in recent years from the US, and as the Dominion Post said last weekend, it's the sort of thing that never happens here. Though it did happen once, as it happens, almost a century ago. In a correction published last Monday, the paper reported that in 1923, One man shot two children dead and injured others with a revolver in the small school in the Waikato town of Waikino. All the perfumes of Arabia could not cleanse the blood-stained hands of John Higgins, said the Truth newspaper at the time, channelling Shakespeare. The teenager pleaded guilty in the end to a series of charges, including unlawful possession of explosives, firearms and restricted weapons, and was sentenced to intensive supervision. And according to last weekend's reports in the papers, a judge overseeing the case believed that the police intervention, which was prompted by tip-offs from the public, may have prevented a tragedy similar to the Christchurch mosque shootings. And the whole episode remained a secret while the debate about gun law changes played out subsequently. Though we still wouldn't know any of that if Stuff and the Herald and its publisher NZME hadn't pursued a lengthy joint legal bid for the right to publish the details, or at least some of them. Because quite a lot of what's been gathered by the police and presented in court still can't be reported, according to Stuff's lead reporter on the story, Blair Ensor. Over the past 18 months to two years, there's been a number of iterations of the story that have been sitting on my computer. I mean, we've had different versions of the summary of facts available to us, uh, and we've had different visions of what that story was going to look like. And so when that judgment landed on Friday, there was a bit of scrambling as to uh, what the story we were able to publish actually was. Uh, And so there were a number of quite senior staff overseeing that, and of course, uh, Robert Stewart, our lawyer, who had sat through the various hearings, uh, was was watching things like a hawk as well. And so that judgment, what did that actually uh, allow you to publish? So that judgment allowed us to report what was an agreed summary of facts. That's what it was called. Uh, and it allowed us to publish uh, details that related to charges the teen had pleaded guilty to. Uh, there were other details and other summary effects that were removed because the charges that those details related to fell away through the course of the prosecution. I mean, in my 12 years as a journalist, I've never dealt with a case like this. It is, it is highly unusual. Several months before the, the Christchurch terror attack, you've got a team planning um, to commit an atrocity that really New Zealand uh, ha- has never seen. Until March, obviously. Can you even say, or is this too difficult, on what grounds you actually challenge uh, the suppression? 
So the big concern uh, in relation to suppression here from the defence, and, uh, and the judge uh, was was very hot on this as well, was the, the rehabilitation of the, the teen uh, and what impact publication of the teen's name and details would have. We uh, argued that the arguments around rehabilitation didn't meet the test for extreme hardship, uh, which is required. We felt that identifying the teen would allow people to be aware of the risk they, they posed. And even if that threshold test wasn't met, Robert argued that the fundamental principles of open justice and freedom of expression were not outweighed. Now, ultimately, Judge Ruth said it would be unconscionable not to grant permanent suppression because of the need to give the teen a second chance uh, and to allow them to rehabilitate. He also suppressed, though, details beyond the agreed summary of facts. So any evidence gathered by the police relating to this case, we can't report on, which is, which is very frustrating. I think it's important that we're able to look at how a teen finds themselves in the kind of deluded position that this teen was in. And without being able to traverse the teen's history, look at the police file and look into those broader questions, we're kind of left in a position where what are the learnings from this case? I mean, it's very difficult to determine that. We also have real issues now whether there were any deficiencies in the response by agencies. So we can't look at how agencies responded to this uh, because we're not able to access a lot of that information. But that is a legitimate concern, though, isn't it? If this is a teenager who is now in, in some process of rehabilitation and also awkwardness for the school involved, and I guess the school would consider themselves to be, you know, kind of a, an innocent victim of the story as well. Um, was it the case that you, you actually wanted to identify this individual, name them, you know, reveal the teen at the centre of this case? We, we certainly sought to try and name the teen, um, but that became, quick, it became very quickly apparent that that was just not going to happen. How did you first become aware of the story? I mean, are these the sorts of details perhaps you can't go into because of the, the elements of it that are still suppressed? Yeah, I mean, look, the suppression orders are extremely tricky when it comes to that. But what I can say is it's, it was something that a journalist saw that piqued our interest um, and things unravelled from there. In terms of challenging the suppression, was that a, a relatively straightforward process? Was it made clear to you, OK, these are the reasons, this is the information, and once you embarked on that process, was it clear to you what you thought you might be able to put in the public domain? Throughout this case, we have indicated that we want to be heard in relation to suppression, but there are reasons why this has become a very protracted process. We were set down for a suppression hearing on March 27 last year, for obvious reasons, that hearing was delayed. Myself, Jared, and Robert Stewart, our lawyer, we travelled to Nelson, uh, and we turned up expecting the suppression hearing to go ahead. But the judge refused to hear the issue of suppression, and the reason for that was because the necessary psych reports weren't available. However, several months later, he provided a sentencing indication uh, in relation or, or for the team which was ultimately accepted without those same psych reports available. So just to be clear, you're talking about psychological evaluation of the teen at the centre of, of the story that had been ordered by the court? Correct, yes. And what further complicated things was that in December, when the teen was eventually sentenced, there actually wasn't a summary of facts that had been agreed to by the Crown or the defence. 
over the coming months, as we tried to get another suppression hearing, COVID pushed things out further. And so when we got to the hearing in July in relation to suppression, there was still actually not an agreed summary of facts in relation to what we could report. So the teenager was initially charged with making objectionable publications, and that related to some of the details police had found at the teen's house. That information was sent to the chief censor for review, and the chief censor found that that information was restrictive but not objectionable. So it was ruled the charges be dismissed and that the information underpinning those charges be removed from the summary of facts. And so that created an issue, and I think the information that was that was removed from the summary of facts actually points to and provides context to what the judge was saying when he said that this team was very disturbed and troubled. Well, look, in this case, I mean, the suppression was extremely successful. You know, we know, of course, of other cases where information's leaked out, but in this case, nothing. Uh, I mean, since then, in the, in, the, in the almost two years this case has been in progress, we've had, of course, the March 15, 2019 attacks in Christchurch. If the story had been in the public domain um, while there'd been debate on gun laws and so on, I imagine this story actually really could have um, changed how people felt about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to wade into the, the debate on gun reform in this country, but, yeah, I absolutely believe that it would have added weight to, to calls for change, without a doubt. And in the end, um, were you able to report the details from uh, the evidence of the, the teenagers' planned attack and so on? Um, and police saying, you know, this, this highlighted the significant value of information provided to the public. That's what they've said in, in the stories published in The weekend. Is, is it a bit ironic from your point of view that, you know, the public just wasn't able to know about this case um, in, in the first place over a period of almost two years? Yeah, I guess there is a, a real degree of irony in that. And I guess as a journalist, we always want to be able to provide as much information as we can to the public. So, yeah, look, th- this has been an incredibly frustrating story for us to tell. As investigative reporters, the devil is always in the detail. And I don't think we've really got the detail about this case that the public deserves. That was Blair Ensor, Stuff Senior Reporter, recently appointed as the Chief News Director for the Canterbury and Otago regions.